Welcome to Industrial Automation It Doesn't Have To podcast. A big thank you to Morgan Everett, lead mentor with Red Nation Robotics, for taking the time to be our guest the last episode. And that title was Industrial Automation It Doesn't Have To Be Last. Morgan's passion and enthusiasm for teaching our next generation of leaders is so encouraging. It's fantastic. We have another special guest today, Allison Burris, sales engineer with Elitech. Hi, Allison. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. All right. So since March is National Women's History Month, it's an all-ladies cast today. Allison, what's the title of today's episode? Today's episode is Industrial Automation. It doesn't have to be a man's world. Oh, yes. yes. There are there have been some very fascinating women in science, technology, engineering, and math that have paved the way for today's engineers. Later in this episode, we'll recognize a few of these trailblazing women. At Elitech, we have a couple of ladies here who are carrying their torch today. And one of the ladies is Julie Shaw, an applications engineer with Elitech. Julie earned her bachelor's of science degree in computer engineering at Tennessee Technological University. And Julie is a whiz with vision systems, isn't she? She's the best. Yeah. (laughs) So we'll definitely have to have her on in another episode and pick her brain, but she is super busy right now. Uh, doing projects. Carrying the torch. (laughs) That's right. That's amen. (laughs) All right. So, uh, but Allison's here and we are going to talk with Allison about being a woman in engineering. But before we get into today's topic, I think this weather that we're having is absolutely amazing. I love seeing the trees bloom, start to bloom and the grass growing. What do you think about spring? I think this is the best time for Knoxville, Tennessee, because in the summer, you're talking about crazy, crazy heat yeah, and humidity. (laughs) And then, of course, in the winter, it's so confusing all the time. I I like the consistency of spring. (laughs) And that's about the only time we have it. Do, do, Do you get allergies? I do get allergies for just the period when everything turns like, where where all the pollen drops everywhere. Yeah. That's very uh, hard to deal with, I'm sure, for everyone. But other than that, I don't really struggle with it too, too much. I love seeing the new birth. Yeah. <laughs> seeing insane. the rebirth. I, I, it's beautiful. Right. I like to plant in my little porch garden. Nice. So what do you that's grow? That's how I do it. I love to grow pretty much anything that I can grow. Mostly I have to grow out of pots right now, which means I'm restricted to things like peppers and tomatoes. But last year I had so many peppers, I have a freezer full of them. So, oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, I really succeeded with that potted plant Fantastic. garden, basically. Maybe we should have another episode about indoor gar- or out porch gardening. Oh, yeah. We can do indoor gardening. I've got it all. We can do any of that talk. Awesome. Well, this might be a doozy of a first question. Okay. So what got you into engineering, Allison? That is a maybe complex answer. And for a first one, you're right, it's a doozy. (laughs) So when I was maybe four, a, a long time ago, obviously, Uh, my grandfather and my dad both were like, you're going to be an engineer because that's what gives you money on your, an ROI on your college degree. So at the age of four, I was already getting that knowledge. And I think at that point it was brainwash. And (laughs) then when I was 11, I decided on electrical because my cousin had a circuits book under his bed that he did not 
play with, and I was bored watching him play video games. <laughs> and I thought that circus book was so cool that I picked electrical, and here we are. Oh, nice, nice. All right. So when you were growing up, did you face any challenges or obstacles that might have detoured your career at PATH at any point? Yes, I think every person going to engineering eventually reaches this point, and not just engineering, but the STEM field as a whole. Because when it comes to learning math, your brain is not prepared for it. I think that we go from learning words, which are memorization and applying memorization and learning, I don't know, where things are. That that type of basic knowledge is not at all how you have to use your brain for math. Because you can memorize 2 plus 2 equals 4 all you want, but that doesn't help you understand how 365 plus something else equals something else, because you can't memorize that far out. Or if you can, more power to you, I can't. (laughs) So it requires forcing your brain to use the logic underneath the memorization. And that's very difficult for anyone. So when I, I remember when I was first learning math to the level of beyond memorizing multiplication tables or whatever else it was. And at that point, I was like, I'm bad at math. I'm awful at math. And the fact is, of course I was. It was new. Everyone's bad at math at that point. But it's important for everyone to let your brain do that figuring and then move forward with it. Because I think it's very common, especially, I don't know if it's anecdotal or not, but for women, I hear a lot of people say, oh, I couldn't be an engineer. My brain doesn't work like that. Well, that's because you've never tried. Or if you have tried and you have issues, that's a whole other thing maybe for like learning. I don't have a learning disability, so I'm sure that has a factor, obviously. But the ability to teach your brain something is hard every time, and it's important to push through it. Yeah, yeah. So did you have anybody that helped you push you through it to help you kind of lead the way? <laughs> yeah. My dad is very much a, a math person. He's an engineer. I'm a fourth generation engineer, hence wow. the brainwashing at age four. (laughs) But he told me, I remember even that day that I was struggling with math and I was like, I'm done with this. I hate it. Uh, He said, no, you're not. We're not dumb people. You're not dumb and you're not going to be dumb. You're going to learn math. And then that was it. He was like, you don't have an option. So maybe more (laughs) brainwashing. I don't know. But it was the ability to have an advocate. And I know that's not always possible, but Mm -hmm. advocating for yourself If you don't have the advocate of your parents is good, obviously. And I know a lot of, I've heard a lot of people say about their kids, well, they won't be doing engineering because they're, because I'm not good at math, but you can help them just by advocating for them, like pushing to get them over the bridge of, you know, self-doubt and the ability to allow your brain to work in a new, different way than it's had to before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's awesome. <laughs> your it's dad's a, a huge influence on your life, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. yeah, he yeah. Is. <laughs> so um, when you were in high school, what classes did you take? Or did you take any classes like to prepare for your engineering field in middle school? I moved a lot. And so... I'm not sure. I, I moved in the in middle school. That's where I struggled with math the second time. The first time was when I was, I don't know, eight. Whenever you first start learning about math and mm-hmm. uh, beyond adding memorization tables type thing. But middle school, I had a bunch of different just regular math classes, I think. But then high school, I started taking 
as many math classes as possible, basically. I could choose which ones I wanted to take. And so I was taking, I took AP Calculus because I was trying to test out of it for college. And <gasps> I didn't end up testing out. I actually just went ahead and retook it. But uh, I wanted to be prepared for college anyway. And it counted, you know, AP counts as mm-hmm. high school and college. Yeah. So I was like, well, I'll just do them both. Yeah. So uh, that was, I think, the extent of it. Okay. Was that your most challenging class? No, by then I think calculus is okay. So I've heard it anecdotally said that if you are good at trig and bad at algebra, then you'll have an easier time at calculus. But I was, and that's how I was. Okay. So for me, algebra was very difficult and I had to struggle through it and trig was very easy. So calculus was okay. And so I don't know if that's really true or not, but AP calculus was not too bad for me once I had everything else down. It's the foundation underneath it, the logical part, teaching, forcing your brain. That mm-hmm. part is the hard part. But then once you've got it, I think it's a good foundation to be able to learn on top of that. Okay. Okay. So that built, you build a foundation off of that. Okay. Right. What was your favorite class in high school? Oh, I think, I don't, I don't know if I had a favorite. I was very much seeing high school as a temporary thing. And I was yeah, yeah. ready to mark them all off. I did have one per, uh, teacher who was actually a PhD and he taught, I don't even know what, but it was Dr. Sauer and he taught a math class and he was my favorite teacher the way he taught and he was very passionate about it. And so his math class was probably my favorite of anything that we learned. And I don't even think it was calculus. I think it was maybe algebra. I'm not sure. But, but Dr. Sauer was the the catalyst there okay. for enjoyment. <laughs> All right. Because of his passion for it? Yes. And he was just very blunt, and he had a lot of funny things to say, so that it was always interesting. And he always forced us to do a journal entry. I don't know yeah. why. <laughs> He's kind of a spiritual person, so maybe it was a an effort to get us in touch with like self-awareness, maybe. I'm yeah. not sure what that point was, but... He, he would literally have us write out a one-page journal while we were there in class. And wow. I don't know, in general, his class was just very, I liked it. I didn't ever have a problem going to class. Oh, nice, nice. Did you do any after-school uh, stuff like, I don't know, they call them clubs like chess club or math club? I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I did in middle school. I started running cross-country. And so I did that. I did not do, I think in middle school, I also did Lego robotics Okay, yeah. Maybe, the, or maybe that was elementary school. Uh, Morgan talked about that mm-hmm. last time in the podcast where they the first robotics, they have different levels of competitions for grade schools, and I bet that was it. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's what I was in. But then I ended up sticking with cross-country in high school and then did French club or something like that. So nothing super technical, but I think it was the need for a release from all of that because having an intense schedule of all the AP Calc, AP Physics, all that stuff. I didn't want to do anything after school with it. I understand. That's maybe not a good recommendation for anyone out there, but... It worked for you. It worked for me. (laughs) Yeah. You got to let your brain not have to force itself to think all the time. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) So uh, which classes do you think helped you prepare you for college? Was it uh, the classes or the after school programs or combination of the both? I think that having a full schedule helped me adapt to college. And I think that was not necessarily what was 
the content of the schedule, but rather that it was just full. I was always busy. And so it was a transition from high school to always busy to college always busy uh, with homework was okay. And I also think taking AP calculus and physics and all the other high intensity is as much high intensity classes I could take in high school, I did. And so my first year of college was actually very easy. I did not have any academic trouble at all uh, because my high school classes had been so much more difficult at that (laughs) point because I had been taking so many of them at once as a high schooler that once I got to college, I didn't have an issue freshman year. So uh, probably it's just the ability to learn while you're still at home that you can be busy and productive within that Yeah, and and not let it make you crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can start create new habits, study habits and that kind of thing, get into a a good pattern of uh, self-discipline. Right. (laughs) That is needed in college years. (laughs) Right. They say in college you get uh, sleep, social life, or studying, pick two. And I picked not to sleep <laughs> because I wanted the social life and the studying Absolutely. to make it through. Yeah. So I was in the same boat. Yeah, I think high school helped with that, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> so where did you go to college? I went to Western Kentucky University. Okay. Is it the Hilltoppers? Yes. All right. All right. So what did you study? Did you have two major or you had a major and a minor in my yes right? I did electrical engineering and I had a math minor but um the math minor only required like an extra class or two uh, because you have to do so much math for electrical oh, yeah. anyway so uh that one was sort of a shoe in yeah yeah no brainer there yeah <laughs> what was your favorite class and why I think circuits was my favorite engineering class and it's, like circuit boards that yeah type of thing. learning about circuitry and putting it together in labs, that type thing. There are a couple levels of circuits, and you have to take it multiple times. As an electrical engineer, I had to take two circuits classes that were engineering-focused, and then I had to take physics that required some circuits knowledge as well. So I had it a lot, but I enjoyed it maybe because of my 11-year-old self in the back of my mind playing with the circuits book at my cousin's house. I don't know. So I thought... It was enjoyable to see it all come together in something that you can see it with your eyes. You know, the lights work. Yeah. But now I can explain how the lights work. Sort oh, of. nice. Nice. So <laughs> how they're all connected anyway. <laughs> was uh, Did you do a project, any projects, like a senior project or anything like that? Yes, I did do a senior project. It was a doozy. And uh, it required a lot of mechanical work, which was very new for me. I did not do anything mechanical until that class. Oh, wow. (laughs) Pretty much because everything in electrical engineering is obviously electrical. But for that class, I had to put together a SCADA system, which I could not do now. I don't know. And I had to do PLC programming, which is that's the only time I ever had to do it. And I had to put together a pump and that was the mechanical stuff. I had to call my mechanical friends and be like, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> Please help me with this. I don't know what's going on. I had to do a lathe, work with a lathe. Wow. Yeah. It was a whole lot of stuff. So it was intense, but I liked it. It was cool. It was, it was fun to put it together and actually build and see something. With electrical, you don't always get that opportunity. Okay. Because it's just a portion. It's not just a portion, but it's a, it's a portion of the whole thing as a whole, correct? Right. Okay. Well, and if you build, if you build a circuit and the point of the circuit is to measure something, then your output, the thing that you get to see is 
a number on a multimeter or a graph on an oscilloscope, and that's kind of boring, you know. But when you get to see a pump work because of a PLC programming you did, that's cool. And you see the water move through it, you're like, hey, look at that. (laughs) It's very interesting um, as compared to just measuring voltage or resistance. So how did those prepare you for the real world? Hmm. I think, honestly, my college did not necessarily prepare me for the real world as well as I wish it would have. Especially in the industrial world, people think that having an engineering degree makes you automatically qualified for the position. And that's not really... That's not really true at all, because my only experience with mechanical example, that was only one class out of my entire career, college career. And PLC programming, one class out of the entire thing. So when I went from manufacturing, when I went from college to manufacturing, did I need to know the highly complex three-line long equation to explain wireless communication? No, I did not. I needed to understand where in the system that's not working isn't working and how to fix that. So it became more of a troubleshooting almost. Like I wish I had more experience troubleshooting. Oh, Again, circuits. (laughs) So it's like uh, electronics focus is good if you're going to go into manufacturing and industry. Okay. Okay. All right. So So, um, what was your least favorite class? Wireless communications. (laughs) It was horrible. It was very horrible. I can't even remember, honestly, what he was trying to teach me because all of it was so intense. And I was like, I don't care about this because I don't need to know why Wi-Fi works. I mean, I guess I do, but I don't. Yeah. And so, not just Wi-Fi, but in general, the ability to go somewhere and need that information, I, I feel like seriously can't be very high percentage. And I did not like it. I didn't think it was very applicable to my life as a whole. But it was a requirement. Yes. Yeah. It was one of the senior electives you had to take to oh. graduate with electrical engineering. Okay. So I, I don't know. To me, it was like taking a gen ed, like I had to take, I don't know, a history elective. And did that apply to my, in my adult career? No. But I still had to take it. And it was sort of like that for wireless communication. Okay. But by then you're a senior last semester and you're like, please just get me out of here. <laughs> I do not care about this. I don't want to do this in real life. So at that point I had already decided to move on to manufacturing and I was just, ready you're just to ready go to go. On. Yeah. 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 And you entered the world, uh, like right after the, yeah. uh, after you graduated, I mean, right. you hit the ground running. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're just, uh, you're just a hard worker. I can tell that. You're ready to go. <laughs> well, I didn't like being poor. That was the real thing. <laughs> College is uh, expensive. It is. And I wanted to stop having to pay so much money to be somewhere without <laughs> making any. So um, I had jobs, of course, in college, but I was ready to just be done with the whole yeah. thing. <laughs> so when you're when you were at Western Kentucky University, did you participate in any clubs or are they called clubs or were you in any of that kind of stuff? I think there's club sports. I didn't, I didn't continue running cross country there. I did run for fun just to stay healthy, manage stress with my running. That was good. Uh, But I did not do anything extracurricular. I was really trying very hard to get out in four years. It's not very common in engineering anymore, I think, to finish in four years. Oh, wow. Uh, A lot of people finish in five-ish. 
Wow. I know somebody who finished in like seven and a half, like very long. <laughs> and I know some people who have finished, I think, maybe at the fastest, really four. I don't know of anybody who's finished faster than that. Wow. So uh, my scholarships ended at the four-year mark, and I wanted to be done. So yeah. I worked to make money, and <laughs> then I went to school, and that was about it. Were there any other girls in your engineering classes? Yes. Was it, I mean, what was the ratio? So... If you count engineering as a whole, generally at WKU and maybe in general across the board, I'm, I haven't confirmed that statistic, but the civil engineering group is the least amount of women, as far as I could tell. Mechanical had more women and electrical somewhere in the middle okay. for us. Um, and I think from what I've seen in the real world, in my jobs, I think that's also true. Um, but I'm not positive, you know, the worldwide statistic on that. But uh, I can tell you that my graduating class at WKU, we graduated 11 that year uh, from electrical. Uh, Mechanical was much larger and civil was even larger than that. And of, I think it was 11 or maybe, yeah, let's go with 11. And we graduated three women, which is a record. And I think it's only ever been one before that every time. So we had a record in there, but I don't think that's normal. I think it's usually one. My goodness. Yeah. So when you graduated, there was just, there were 11 in your graduating class and three were women. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that there aren't that many women in electrical engineering? I don't know. I think there are less electricals in general anyway, because it's definitely an abstract knowledge. Okay. And it's not exciting to measure voltage across a line. And that's a significant portion of your job. So I think the general number of engineers is lower for electrical anyway. And given that girls are less prevalent in engineering, I would say that it probably just follows on that. Okay. Okay. All right. So yeah, we said you went straight into college after the, uh, uh, straight into the workforce after college. So, and we talked about a little bit about how your college courses prepped you for the real world, but do you want to go into that a little bit more? Yeah, I think in general, learning, learning to learn, I guess, it comes back down to that. Getting your brain to think in a method of circuits, something abstract. So I think that in general, I should, I wish I would have focused more on those, really, the circuits and learn it better and like certain physics things that i I was trying to manage so many classes at once that I didn't remember all of them super well. Yeah. (laughs) I think probably, you know, your percentage is maybe off on uh, retaining knowledge. For sure. So I wish that I had focused more on the base level classes because that's the stuff I use the most. Oh, really? Circuits, calculus, physics, that kind of stuff, trig. So is that what you would encourage anyone that's going into it to, to focus on the basics? Yes. Yeah. Well, make sure that you have a good foundation before you try to move on, because I was maybe doing too much social life or something and didn't get on my foundation good. Uh, That happens. Right. (laughs) And that'll give you struggles down the road. So certain classes would be more difficult, maybe just because I didn't focus hard enough on the nitty gritty of the basics. Okay. Really, the basics are key. Okay. Just like trade going to calculus. Yeah. Same kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Well, obviously I didn't take any of those. <laughs> <laughs> so when you entered the workforce, uh, you, you progressed really quickly um, yeah. from going from a production engineer and then moving on up. So you're hardworking and 
Did you find it difficult in a male-dominated environment to advance so quickly? Honestly, no. I, I don't. I get a lot of questions related to being a woman in engineering in that way, in that format. I think as long as you are working as hard as the people around you, you're you're going to be noticed. So I think that I don't know if being a woman or in a man's world really mattered. Okay. Or at least I never let it matter. Oh, and good. maybe that's the key. I don't I literally never thought about it. Oh. I just did my own thing. Oh, so nice. Huh. I guess it worked. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't let it you didn't even it didn't even cross your mind. No. No. <laughs> I mean, you know, even going back to my parents, my dad, my dad never said, "Well, you're a girl, so you have to it was never it was never a thing it was just you're going to be an engineer because that has a good ROI on college I was like cool all right that makes sense numbers make sense so from there I just never I literally never thought about it so when you were working what were some of the biggest challenges you faced on some of the projects that you had what was your just one that just was like oh my goodness I don't think I can do this I think it's universally true for production engineering that it's difficult to maintain the schedule because if your manufacturing plant is running 24/7 then that means that somebody may need you at any point in that 24/7 so especially for automotive which i was in it is highly intense it's it's very intense on scheduling and the ability to keep up and get what you need to get done for the future of your plant and also maintain what's already out there. So it's a, it's a balancing balance. act, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It's, wow. it's hard. So it's were, challenging. So were you on call for 24 seven? I mean, how does that look? It was sort of like that, though it was not quite on call. It was difficult to say no if somebody is struggling. And so you, you're kind of on call by your own Commitment, I, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So for your fellow employee co- right, colleague, at, right, to help them. So yeah. there's definitely a, a method that was supposed to be followed from a person, maybe on second shift, which I did not work for a maintenance person on second shift to go through the process to get to me as a last resort type thing. But generally, it was depending on the maintenance person. You know, I may get a text from my favorite maintenance person who had my cell phone number. (laughs) Not all of them did. And he would text me and say, hey, I'm having exactly this problem. And I would be able to fix it by text maybe, or I'd be able to call him and he could verbally explain what was going on and I could verbally explain how to fix it to my knowledge. But yeah, there are times when a machine's down and we have to make a shipment and I would have to go in and it didn't matter what time it was. Wow. If they couldn't make the shipment, you know, you had to go fix it, whatever yeah. it was, make it come back up. Production can't stop. <laughs> right. Yeah. So what did you like most about being a production engineer? The The best part about being a production engineer is definitely the constant change. I am not very good at sitting still. I am not very good at doing the same thing all the time in repetition. And as a production engineer, even if you wanted to do that, you absolutely could not because if some machine is down on line nine today, you have to fix that, but then you have to build line 24 tomorrow, something like that, then you're constantly on a state of coming in, deciding what you're doing, 
maybe getting that done. And that was okay with me. Kind of the chaos. I, I was okay with the chaos. Okay. That does not fit for everyone no. at all. But for me, it was very, I'm okay with it. You thrived in that, didn't you? Yeah. It was con- <laughs> it was just constant energy and I was okay with that. Uh, so you've been at Elatech for a little over a year now as the sales engineer. You can't make sales calls during a pandemic. So that's kind of a, what, what what's that button? <laughs> that's starting to ease up a little bit Uh, what engineering skills have you been able to utilize that someone without the knowledge that you have and skills that they couldn't have done I think being able to understand a complete system even if you don't if you approach a system and you don't understand the full system but you know that one system may have three parts to it and understanding the relationship between part one to part two to part three matters even if all all you're trying to focus on is part three then getting choosing a solution may be easier for a person who has experience looking at the system as a whole Mm -hmm. rather than just oh here's a scanner and let me put it on your machine or whatever because then i could come in and say yeah i can have your scanner put here, but maybe your associate could reach it better over here. And I see that your station over here is working together with this station because that's the kind of thinking I had to have as a production engineer with a system of, I don't know, five machines on a line type thing. And you would have to decide where different things are better and what's your best ROI on that investment, whatever you put in. So I think that just the experience, not necessarily the technical part of it, but the experience of being able to see a system as a whole mm-hmm. is definitely key. Yeah, yeah. Because anybody that didn't have that experience before would just be, here's your scanner. Right, exactly. <laughs> here's your scanner. I'll see you another one tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're you're in there for the whole solution and to make, make it better and empower them, aren't you? Right. <laughs> I don't want ever to try to sell something to somebody that... I, as a production engineer, would not want to use. Oh, okay. Because I don't want anyone to say, oh, Allison, she sucks. She gave me the stupid scanner. It doesn't even work. And I don't I don't want that. No. <laughs> no. So. No. What, with this pandemic and, you know, you haven't been able to make sales calls. Other than that, I mean, that's a huge challenge right. in that's itself. Maybe for, the biggest for a seasoned For a seasoned salesperson, I don't know, you know, they, they've had to navigate it. But you're, you know, you're fairly new into the sales game. Uh, what are your other challenges? that you've had to overcome and face? I am learning from a top-down situation now, where previously I was working from bottom up. Because when I and a production engineer had a part, and that part had to be inspected, which was my job, set up machines for inspection, when I would try to think about what I needed, then I only had to think about the things that apply to what go to that part that fixed the thing that I need fixed type thing. Uh But from a sales standpoint, I'm learning all the various solutions that could possibly be out there, like a Linmot or Tolematic or whatever, why why one versus the other is better for 18 different applications. So that's been interesting because it's almost like my brain has tried to maintain this logical – ground up thing with math and everything else. And now I'm having to do more of the memorization type knowledge that I 
did not super practice because I was practicing the other way. So it's been interesting to try to learn all of that. And I have not had any issues with it necessarily, but even when I think, oh yeah, I've learned all these things this week, I'm like super smart. I'm the smartest. And then the next week something comes up and I'm like, cool, I know nothing. Just chops you down, (laughs) doesn't it? Like, oh, there's infinity more things to learn. I forgot. So (laughs) that's been interesting and the hardest part. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you what, the more I learn, the more I know I don't know. Right. Exactly. (laughs) I just want to feel smart (laughs) and I'm not, I feel like it's not happening. Oh, it is. You're, you're super smart. I tell you what. I know, you know what I, know. I mean. This specific subset of you knowledge. Want, you want to be able to go and be able to identify like that yes. what what the solution or at least have a handful of solutions that you could just spout off right away without them having to wait or anything. Or, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I want to know the reach on three different robots just yep. off the top of my head. And I do not uh, memorize all that super well. So that's what I've been working on. <laughs> well, I liked your Hanwha uh, video the for the cobot yeah that was a lot that was that was good you did a great job on that one I was trying to think very uh, Instagram and see yeah but it turned out to be that too much knowledge is required in such a small video so it didn't really end up to be Instagram maybe more like YouTube yeah, yeah, but yeah. it was fun it's a it's a neat little robot isn't it yeah I really liked it <laughs> I thought it was very also attractive which I think a lot of people don't think about but when you have a customer coming through a plant, and your plant looks old and dingy, then they are not, they're looking at it the way that you're looking at it. So they're not thinking, wow, this is bright and shiny. I want that. I want this to be what builds my parts. They're thinking, oh, that's from the seventies because it looks like it's from the seventies. So I think that, uh, the Hanwha is so has such good lines on it that it really is an attractive thing. And I think it would look really good in a lot of production floors. Yeah. Yeah, and then they, when they when their customers come through, they can right <laughs> exactly. I think that they nice. would find it impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, what advice would you have for girls that are going to go and choose their career in engineering? I would say, don't talk yourself out of it, and don't think about being a girl in it. I think a lot of people get focused on that, maybe, and yeah. it's not beneficial. I, the it's just like the math thing where if you are told by your parents, well, I wasn't good at math, so you won't be either. Well, that doesn't mean anything. My dad's not good at cooking and I cook. Well, actually, he is good at cooking. So <laughs> I don't know what an example is there. But the the point is, is if you talk yourself out of it, you've already lost. Yeah. So don't do that. Just Just work at it. And it's hard, but... If it wasn't hard, everybody would do it. That's true. <laughs> so just think of it as, yeah, it's not a big deal. It's hard, but that's okay. And then move on with that. All right. All right. Well, uh, do you have any other thoughts you want to share with the listeners? You know, I was thinking about, I knew you were going to ask me this <laughs> as an open mic sort of thing. And uh, I thought about something I think would be good to share. I was given my senior year the worst piece of advice ever, and I'd like to let everyone know what that is and why it was the worst. Okay, go for it. (laughs) So I had a professor who was trying to protect me, I think. She is a woman in engineering, and I think she her attempt was to make sure that I was able to succeed in a man's world by adapting to the world in the way that she thought would be cohesive, I guess. And... So she told me specifically, she said, you smile when you talk, 
don't do that. You wear too many colors, don't do that. You apologize sometimes for speaking too intelligently, don't do that. And I was like, well, I'm not trying to apologize. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it was more like a, oh, well, if you don't really understand that, let me try to say it a different way. And for me, that was just, hey, Beth, here's this electrical engineering knowledge that you probably don't have that I want to be able to talk to you anyway. And I was trying to make sure you didn't feel left out of the conversation. Well, and then sometimes when you explain it in a different way, it helps you understand it in a different way as right. well. Right. And it makes more people welcome to the conversation. Yeah. And I think having only, I don't know, an elite set of people in the conversation is not good because you might think of something, Beth, that I would not think of from a marketing standpoint. And me thinking that a robot is attractive matters to some people, right? So it's a totally different way to think about things, but that's okay because more people at the table is great. Yes. So when she was telling me again, and because she was trying to help me succeed, it was not in a, it wasn't in a bad way. It wasn't malicious. No, no, no. But she was telling me to look more like a man maybe, right? Like don't, like men aren't wearing bright red, I don't know, tops. I I guess they can, but that's an example. And, uh, they aren't smiling as much when they talk, maybe, because they're more direct, typically, stereotypically, maybe. I'm extremely direct, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mask that by smiling, so it's definitely, a, it's definitely true, right? So, anyway, she was telling me to try to fit in more, but at, I didn't like that advice, and I thought, if I have to be boring and stop smiling and not wear colors. I don't really want to live this life. <laughs> I don't, I mean like in engineering. Yeah. I yeah. don't want to, I don't want to conform and like dull down everything to be able to succeed. To be in that world? No. Right. And I don't want to, I don't want to have to adapt to the world. I want to introduce a different perspective if that is what's required. Mm-hmm. So uh, I took her advice uh, in and I listened to it. And I thought about it a lot. And I still think about it now. And at my first interview for my last job, I wore a bright red sweater and I smiled all I wanted. And I thought (laughs) she would not be happy with this. But when I did get that job, because I did, then uh, they told me, well, your personality is key to the success here because I think that you are going to be a good team member. So my personality, my smiling, my being too loud, maybe, I don't know what it is. I was going. (laughs) Yeah, was able to be seen as a positive. And then I succeeded pretty well at that company moving up because I was able to get people to work together and bring more people to the table in any problem that we had. So obviously the advice was wrong. And I'm happy that the advice is wrong because if you have to be boring to be an engineer, then I don't want to be an engineer either. That's very boring. <laughs> and then, of course, this job, my personality got me this job. So yep. <laughs> just don't, I don't want people to ever think that they have to change who they are to be an engineer. I just think that's old. I don't think anybody is thinking that way yeah. anymore. And if they are, that's not a good fit for you anyway. Yeah. And that's, that's on them too. <laughs> yeah. If they're turned off by my personality, I'm not interested in that job either. Exactly. Exactly. That's awesome. Well, thank you for your time today, Allison. Sure. It's awesome. We're going to go over, um, before we uh, wrap up, I was going to recognize a few of the 
trail of the women that blaze the trail before you. So perfect. Uh, this first one is as the first ever computer programmer, Ada Lovelace was a hundred years before her time. Hmm. Yeah. In the 1840s, Ada recognized that given the right programming and inputs, a general computer could do anything. She created the first algorithm used by an early computer prototype. Hmm. Amazing. That is amazing. That's fantastic. Do you want to read about Edith Clark? In 1919, Edith Clark was the first woman to receive a Master of Science degree in electrical engineering from MIT. She developed the Clark Calculator in 1921, a graphing calculator used to help solve electrical, electric power transmission problems. Do you know that Clark Calculator? No. Okay. But I did use a graphing calculator okay. to solve power transmission problems, so thanks maybe for that. Was, maybe it's based on what she did. Yeah, thanks, Edith. I did not want to do that without it. And then uh, lastly, it was hard to it was hard to just pick three women. I mean, I was going through this list and it's amazing. I'm going to put, um, there's a, it's sciencebuddies.org and I'm going to put their link in the show notes. So I I really, I want people to go and just read about these women. They're, they're just amazing. Uh, the last one we're going to talk about today is Mary Jackson. She earned her bachelor's of science degree in mathematics and physical science in 1942. (laughs) In 1951, she was hired by NASA, and by 1958, she became NASA's first female African-American engineer. Wow. Yeah. In the 1970s, this I think is amazing, she helped children in the science club at Hamptons King Street Community Center build their own wind tunnel. Wow. And used it to to conduct experiments. That's awesome. Isn't that neat? Yeah. Giving back to their communities, too. Yep. These are just a few of the trailblazing women in STEM, the science, technology, engineering, and math. And uh, like I said, I'll put a link to the sciencebuddies.org on uh, the show notes. And Allison, before we go, is there anything you would like to add? Some words of wisdom and encouragement for the young ladies out there? (laughs) Uh, Wear whatever color you want to your first interview. (laughs) Amen. I like it. I like it. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, This is, I hope you've enjoyed uh, industrial automation. It doesn't have to be a man's world. And we would love for you guys to leave a review. You could find all of Elitech's podcasts on our website. It's Elitech, E-L-L-I-T-E-K dot com slash podcast. And you can can subscribe to our RSS feed there. And so you don't have to miss an episode. And then if you have any topics or questions, hit us up on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and it's usually Elitech or Elitech hyphen Inc. One of those two, (laughs) a combination of the those, and we'll leave those on the show notes as well. So you can leave us a message and, you know, I want someone to call in and leave a message or a question or a comment, and we might just feature them on the air. Okay. And do you know that number? Yes, I know. Okay, let's see here. (laughs) Okay. It's 865-409-1555. Say it again one more time. 865-409-1555. All right. Thank you so much, Allison. I appreciate your time. Sure, thanks. All right. You guys have a great weekend. We'll... Hear you next time. <laughs>